Log and Grill. Hey, everybody, and welcome to AQ's Blog and Grill. Today, we have a special guest. Now, this gentleman is um, a B2B marketing strategist. He's an author. He's a keynote uh, speaker. He's the co-founder and CEO of TopRank, which is a, um, a digital marketing organization that is really in the thought leader category. Lee, welcome to AQ's Blog and Grill. It's great to be here, Alan. <laughs> Thank you very much. Now, Lee lives in the middle of nowhere. I think it's called Minnesota, is it not? Uh, well, you know, wait a minute. That middle of nowhere is basically <laughs> a province of province of Canada. Uh-huh. You know. Okay. Yeah, okay. And and Lee and I have, have known each other for a while, and I, I usually will tease him at some point during our conversation that uh, Minnesota is like the 11th province of Canada. And um, you know what? These days, he doesn't object to that. Uh, you're, you're kind of supportive of moving the whole state north, I think. But uh, we're all part of the good, the great, the great north. The great north. <laughs> the great north. Okay, super. Lee, um, one of the things that you've been really active on uh, lately in your speaking and in your blogging has been uh, influence marketing. And recently, you 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 published a uh, a blog about influence marketing and the B2B, the business to business sector. And I'm just wondering why, why do you think influence and the marketing therefore of it uh, is, is so important right now in the business to business sector? Well, you know, it's, we, we all understand that, you know, persuasion and the things that we try to accomplish with marketing and advertising um, are as important as, as ever, there are universal truths in terms of helping people understand what a thing is, how it will work for them, and then literally the the confidence and trust they have to make a decision. Uh, the problems are that you know, as just like consumers are overloaded with media, I think it's like sixty three gigabytes of digital media people are confronted with in North America on a daily basis. B two B buyers are overwhelmed with options too. They are growingly distrustful of marketing and advertising. So how do we solve for that? We solve for that by connecting them with sources of information that they do trust. And that includes peers, uh, industry experts, and industry influencers. So B2B can solve for some of the biggest problems that it has in terms of creating credible connections uh, with people that are actively interested in paying attention by co-creating content, marketing content, with those who have influence. Hmm. Yeah, and, and the stats um, that you, you have quoted in the past are pretty, uh, pretty incredible. Uh, the World Federation of Advertising saying that 65% of multinational brands um, will be using influencing uh, influencer marketer and uh, increasing their spending by um, quite a bit over the next 12 months. Five yeah, billion. I mean, Five to ten billion, and and the and the thing is, is you know, in B two B, if you think about the longer sales cycle, there's so much more content that is put out there to help buyers educate themselves as they increasingly are self directed and they pull themselves through that journey, and they're doing that pulling by consuming content. Well, you know, there's people who are relying on old school tactics like SEO and advertising and that sort of thing, but you know, what good is something that's findable if it's not also credible? Mm. So the role influence plays in a lot of content marketing is that we can optimize for findability, but we can also optimize for credibility. Okay. By partnering, 
with external influencers, external subject matter experts, and also using those tactics to increase the influence of the brand and key opinion leaders and executives within the brand at the same time. Because, you know, renting influence from someone else by collaborating with them is fine. It's a nice short-term six, 12-month sort of effort. But B2B brands also need to think about how they can grow influence within their business at the same time so they can own that influence. Gotcha. So how is, um, in your opinion then, Lee, how is B2B catching up and maybe going to take the lead over B2C um, as as this whole uh, process and the investment in influencer marketing increases? I don't think that B2B is going to take over B2C from a quantitative standpoint because mm-hmm. the nature of consumer products and services are just uh, uh, lead to more volume of influencer activity. Plus, in B2C, all you have to do to be an influencer is to put the word influencer on your Instagram profile <laughs> and start taking lots of selfies and post stories of you doing whatever. Um, in B2B, you actually have to you actually have to have credibility. You have to have domain authority. Uh, and, you, you know, you, you earn your influence in B2B by others citing you as that expert. So I think from a qualitative standpoint, B2B certainly has an opportunity to lead over B2C um, because of the, the required validation, um, legitimacy, um, the lack of fake followers, the lack of um, blatant opportunism uh, in B2B, at least right now, compared to B2C gives B2B a lead in some ways over B2C when it comes to influence, um, where you have people who are invested in making the industry a better place and they're not just out to make an extra buck mm-hmm. um, or uh, you know, being part of some sort of make money online scheme where they add themselves to a marketplace uh, where they then become inventory for brands to come and shop like they're at a supermarket buying advertising and, and, and doing insertion orders with uh, some, you know, uh, blogger in Broken Branch, Arkansas, who, who promises that if they do a blog post, an Instagram story, and a Facebook uh, post, that they'll get X, uh, you know, CPC on 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 their um, on their investment. Uh, we just have a call coming in from the Broken Branch, uh, Arkansas Chamber of Commerce. Um, <laughs> I've given them your home number. We, so you can expect a, a follow. I think we're already on speed dial because they're one of my favorite <laughs> places to vacation. I, I really fund that entire city, actually, I think. Uh, Yay. We're with you. And that high school football team, they're great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as we look at the B2B brands that are, are starting to get influencer marketing right or correct, there are some that just don't get it. And what are some of the symptoms if you're if you're in B2B and you're trying influencer marketing, but you're not doing it well? Is there something that stands out to you as, um, gee, I wish they wouldn't do that? Sure. Um, so there's a maturity model we've developed over the last six or seven years that we've been implementing influencer marketing programs for B2B companies. Uh-huh. And usually at the beginning stages, it's experimentation. And so really they're digitally throwing spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks and only working with people they know. Um, they'll only work with people for a campaign and then completely ignore them after the campaign. Um, they will look at it as a transaction. They'll look mm. at it as an advertising buy. And uh, so they'll start to realize that they're, the influencers that they were trying to work with are ignoring them. And they start to think about, well, we've actually got to develop legitimate relationships with these folks. 
Uh, we've got to invest in software. Um, we've got to think about the bigger picture and how working with these folks can not only add to performance on an individual campaign, but by educating influencers about things we both care about, uh, that they can become organic advocates for us, mm-hmm. um, even outside of the campaign. So you literally create these relationships with people and you become friends with them in many cases um, because we're helping each other. Uh, we're advancing a cause of shared values between the brand and the influencer, making the world or that industry a better place. And, you know, we're becoming financially successful uh, along the way. So the things that people are doing wrong are anything that doesn't contribute to qualitative relationship building um, and things that are really focused on positive forward uh, outcomes uh, that, you know, can that are sustainable, that can uh handle scrutiny, so to speak, that are legitimate versus just opportunism. Gosh. You know, Lee, I, I hang on on all your words. I, I pay attention um, because you're you're a, a, a thought leader and you're you're a Viking out there and, and, and you scare me a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the saying that I've heard from you and I think it's just it just resonates so much with me is this pay an influence pay an influencer and they'll be your friend for the day help someone become more influential and they'll be an advocate and a friend for life and i and i think you really deliver that in terms of your your strategy and your tactics well it's it's important because while there is a time and a place to pay influencers absolutely and we do pay uh, an advocate for influencers to be paid for the right kind of work um, mm-hmm. at the same time as a brand matures in its ability to create, you know, to, to be influential, uh, they also are in a situ- situation to help others become influential. So, for example, if we're just borrowing influence by working with people who are top experts in an industry, and that's all we ever do, we're not going to get the full value uh, and, and benefit of this practice of influencer marketing. So if we're doing that and simultaneously looking at up and comers in the industry and looking at key opinion leaders within our company and helping them become more influential, that investment in helping them be more successful is going to be something that they'll appreciate. And we both have skin in the game now and we're doing something together. We're making, again, our industry a better place. And that results in amazing uh, uh, organic advocacy. Mm-hmm. So you've you've also said, and it's and it's one hundred percent correct, is that short term thinking is okay for short term results, uh, but it isn't the way to be that sustainable brand or that sustainable influence uh, with the prospects and customers in your in your category. That's true, and and here's the thing: when you take a short term approach. Um, you know, you're not going to connect emotionally with these influencers and whether, you know, we all realize that we're business professionals and money makes the world go round and all that. But at the same time, when you have myriad choices and so many of them look the same, what draws you to a decision is often how you feel about that particular brand. What is it like to work with them? What experience has that brand created for you as an influencer? So, uh, this is really important consideration, I think, in terms of a strategic approach versus a short-term transactional approach. Right. You know, I'm thinking, and I'm just going to make this up, is 
<laughs> you know, this um, is the first time you've done that. I know it is. It, it kind of hurts my head. Actually, I've got a little bit of a brain strain uh, coming up with this, but um, the ROI here on influencer marketing is return on influence um, that there, there is an investment that has to be made uh, and it will show up because the as, as effective because the prospect gets gets your point because it's relevant. It resonates, and hopefully, it's real time. Sure, and yeah. and you know the thing is, is there are those uh, who are less sophisticated and experienced in the field of influencer marketing will look at that idea of having to invest and wait for a return as just it's or or even suggesting that you have to wait for a return um, as a reason why not to do it versus some other marketing channel. And here's the thing: when you are more sophisticated, when you have more experience with this. You can hit the ground running and you can do certain things to help a business do a pilot and start to see uh, some of those metrics that will get uh, attention from executive sponsorship that will win you more budget to roll out that program in a much more significant way. Um, and more sophisticated approaches to influencer marketing are able to fix that plane while it's flying, so to speak. I mean, we're able to get those immediate um, you know, low-hanging fruit types of results, but at the same time, approach this as a strategic move to build a brand and to grow influence at scale that will ultimately result in uh, that kind of advocacy that really grows a business. There you go. So help us un or unpack for us, Lee, your, your concept of the always-on um, influencer marketing. What does that mean? So what's a counter to this sort of short-termism? And that is always on. Uh, buyers are always on. Uh, the internet certainly is always on. So always on is an approach to working with influencers that helps you maintain the relationship and show that love. So there are approaches you can take from, oh, you know, modular content and repurposing, which is you know, low effort, high return effort at deconstructing content collaborations into small things that you can share and post and use as ingredients. So the influencer has the experience of collaborating with you on this really big thing. And wow, kaboom, this is amazing. And then what happens after that? You continue to drip out there um, interaction opportunities, um, uh, uh, earn media, uh, mentions of them in your newsletter and your eBooks and blog posts and infographics and things like that as you deconstruct and repurpose content from the big asset. That continues to show uh, the influencer that you're giving them attention, which is what they want because that's how they monetize. Mm. Um, but there are also other opportunities that are always on. So for example, uh, I'm, I've been um, working with Adobe and I mean, we've done consulting for Adobe. What I, what I mean is Adobe has me um, identified as an Adobe insider. So I get to work with Adobe as an influencer. And and um, what they do is, and, and it's really brilliant. Ronnie Monty's behind this. Uh, she's She and her team are absolutely brilliant at B2B influencer marketing. Um, and so they maintain a relationship and a community of individuals that have different types of expertise. And so they engage the, you know, the whole group by bringing them all to an event like Adobe Summit. But then after the summit, they invite different people to do different projects, a webinar, uh, a live stream, uh, to contribute to an article, to contribute uh, or to author an article on CMO.com and so forth. So, um, and, and there's also a back channel, a uh, 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 Twitter DM back channel, which is like really the most difficult 
uh, thing to follow because it's just one stream. It's not threaded at all. Mm. But that thing is lit up every single day amongst the insiders um, sharing information with each other, some of it about Adobe, some of it not. Hmm. So always on is something that is a persistent effort and that requires you to allocate human time. It requires you to allocate some technology, but it's a cumulative return, meaning that or cumulative effect. Uh, you're building momentum with always on. And you can look forward to, uh, you know, a, a momentum of results if you're able to make that uh, consistent investment uh, on a regular basis. Right. It's really just about building the relationship. I mean, any relationship requires time and effort. That's really sure. all it is. Sure. And through that time and effort, you're hopefully building trust. And how, well, of course. How, how important is trust in influencer marketing? Well, Trust, you know, is a, is a two-way street, a multi-dimensional uh, element when it comes to influencer marketing. Because obviously, uh, if the brand is empathizing with the influencer, they're not only finding out if they're topically relevant for the thing they want to collaborate on, but also they understand that the influencer's motivations, their needs, their wants, their pain, and the degree to which a collaboration with the brand will help solve for those things. And if they're able to be empathetic. Uh, in that way, the influencer is going to trust the true intentions of the brand. Simultaneously, the brand's obviously got to validate the influencer and in that they are who they say they are. They've got to trust the the, the influencer as well. Mm -hmm. But the, the other dimension to that trust element is, of course, that the brand influencer collaboration is something that is truly legitimate so that the customers trust it. Because if the customers trust it, if they don't trust it, it's, it's it doesn't matter that there's a romance uh, between the influencer and the brand, that they mutually love each other. Um, ultimately, it's the end consumer, the buyer that's got to trust that this is a legitimate collaboration. This is something where values are shared and it, it is a genuine thing, right? Yeah, it, it's so important. And, and you and I both might remember um, a book that came out uh, about 20 years ago, and it was called Romancing the Brand. And it really did go into the relationship that can be developed, it isn't automatic, but it can be developed and nurtured so that a, a customer, a prospect actually feels good uh, about uh, investing their money or their time in particular brands and not so good uh, about other interactions. So I, I think it's really coming true and you've just articulated it so well. You know, I was speaking to Guy Kawasaki uh, two weeks ago and, and his thing is right now, is that too many brands think they're on Tinder uh, <laughs> as, a, as opposed to eHarmony. Um, you know, they just want a date. Uh, they want that transaction. Uh, and some customers are okay with that, but but the, the, the customers that are valuable to us as business people, they want a the little bit deeper. They want to, you know, fill out the forms and, and get to know people that share interests and empathy. Uh, do, do you agree with that Tinder eHarmony metaphor? Sure. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I don't have experience with either one, but um, <laughs> I can imagine. And I think that, you know, in the realm of, you know, caring and feeling uh, is definitely a greater part of the expectations that consumers uh -huh. have uh, when they do whatever they do, including um, if they are buying business software. Uh, if they're buying technology. And so I think one interesting thing is um, I had um, 
done a co-keynote with Alex Rin from LinkedIn, who is the, a resident millennial marketing expert. She used LinkedIn data to study millennials and B2B yes. to some degree. Um, HubSpot has done the same uh, a little bit. And when we did this presentation, it was very interesting to find that, um, of, you know, that, that, well, first, that there are a very significant percentage of millennial age folks are part of the decision-making process in B2B. Yes. Which, you know, who's, how many people are targeting that group? And I know it's a generalization, but, um, and a lot of people in the audience, when I asked for a raise of hands, were not. But the other thing is, is one of the first things they look at a website is what is the purpose uh, or what is what are the social causes and initiatives that the brand B2B brand is involved with? That's one of the first things mm-hmm. that that decision growing decision making group of people are looking for on these B2B websites. And they're not finding it because you and I know when you go look at most B2B websites, it's about demos. It's mm-hmm. about software. It's about hardware. It's about, you know, what problems we can solve for you as opposed to what that brand might be doing to help solve the problems of the world right. uh, or, or the industry. And so I think this is a reflection of an increased expectation of the emotional connection that does exist. And it manifests in many different ways, whether it's the brand's purpose or social initiatives or whether it's simply the brand doing a really good job uh, empathizing with their buyer, understanding who they are and making sure their content reflects who their buyers actually are and how their product or service actually can improve their life, uh, work life or personal. Uh, Lee, I saw that presentation. I think it was at HubSpot and I might've seen it up here in Toronto as well uh, with the young woman from, um, from LinkedIn or what? No, is she from LinkedIn or Microsoft? Um, uh, Alex Rin is at LinkedIn. LinkedIn okay. Marketing Solutions. Okay, great. And it was a great presentation. And here's why. is I don't think there's enough recognition yet that the people we're trying to have conversations with are people who are of the millennial age group. Um, and I saw, you know, when you said to hold up, or, you know, put up your hands, uh, everybody who is younger in the audience um, let's say 30 to 35, put up their hand. But old dudes like me, uh, not to say you, but old dudes like me, you know, who are <laughs> who are now only the- as old as we feel, Alan. Only <laughs> yes, old exactly. as we feel. Yeah, you're not exact. Like we don't have to be old. We don't have to be pale, male, and stale. Uh, that's a choice that people make. But I just thought, yeah, it's different and it's wonderful that um, decisions are being made on, on different platforms now. And uh, I think marketers have got to get, have got to get with it, uh, especially maybe in the B2B sector. So um, really good presentation. I think I saw that, um, I think I saw that last year and maybe even the year before. So you can't fall behind your customer. Uh, you've got to be able to connect and, and make it again, something that they're interested in. And certainly the social causes and, um, you know, authentic ones, not just budget lines right. about CSR. Uh, nobody falls <laughs> for that anymore. Uh, right. But, uh, that, and that's a great way to recruit. And it's a great way to retain uh, teammates in your business is, is to be authentically connected to those causes. Yeah. Good show. Absolutely. Now, and you know, and I, 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 I'm guilty of using that generalization of millennials because, in the reality, especially in our practice, that we uh-huh. know that there's no people, <laughs> there's there's no qualitative uh, self segmentation where people are filling out on a form. I'm a millennial. No, it's the <laughs> no. behavioral 
behavioral aspects are cross-generational, of course, and um, it, it's not just limited to people that are 20 to 35 years old that feel this way. Um, one thing that's interesting is that you know, the increase of social media and the way social media is being used and what's happening in popular culture are moving everyone towards this uh, perspective, you know, yeah. and it's becoming important to a lot more people, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, uh, the whole thing about marketing by movement um, or by movement momentum uh, is something that uh, B2B and B2C have to be very cognizant of, that they can't sell things anymore. Uh, it is about buying or recruiting participants and, and then going from there. So this is, again, I think a real positive point on your influencer uh, marketing um, strategy. Now, speaking of strategy, uh, you at, at, at Top Rank, are, are you guys now producing um, materials that uh, people can, uh, can learn from and people can actually use uh, tactically as well as strategy, uh, strategically? Yes, we've, we've published uh, a very large amount of content around uh, B2B influencer marketing specifically, which people can find at toprankblog.com. Uh, we also have uh, collaborated with Tracker, an influencer marketing platform and Altimeter Group, uh, and a report that Brian Solis wrote, um, which you can find at influencermarketingreport.com. And uh, in fact, uh, are working with Brian on a uh, report for 2020 that is very specific to B2B influencer marketing, not just influencer marketing in general. Um, and that'll be available probably in February or March of, of uh, next year. But um, certainly, we, yeah, we do produce a lot of content, guides. Um, I'm doing a certain number of presentations every year on this topic um, and have been for, for many years, actually. Okay. So this, this past year, the 2019, you guessed for me that you did maybe 20 or 24 appearances over the year. And you said you're going to be busier in 2020. Uh, what's up with that? Well, um, you know, I found that I, I wanted to, to slow down a little bit in 2019 in terms of presentation. And uh, we've been investing in our operations and the structure of our company, growing our leadership as our agency is, you know, taking on a lot more enterprise uh, clients. Um, we, you know, LinkedIn, Dell, SAP, Oracle, Adobe, and so forth. Um, and that sort of thing. And so really want to be poised for success in terms of from a qualitative standpoint, uh -huh. but that's really humming. And we've got some really special people on our team that are making that magic happen. So in 2020, um, I, I can get back out on the road and uh, talk uh, more often and uh, into to a wider variety of audiences on um, this movement um, that, that we've really been uh, doing a, a, a lot of work on evangelizing over the last couple of years. And that is, you know, creating influence uh, in organizations um, that, that infect, uh, infects, <laughs> affects, um, just like I thought you said neuter and it's before. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, um, that it's affects like Canadian people, accent, uh, Lee. Yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's the process, okay, um, <laughs> of trying to connect with customers on the street, but also influencing in the C-suite. 
right? Mm -hmm. So we want to help marketing become more influential in its ability to connect with customers in a qualitative way because they're ignoring ads, right? So we want to get their attention. But at the same time, we want to build the credibility of marketing within organizations and increase the influence of marketing, um, especially as they interact with folks in the C-suite so they can get the budget and the support and the sponsorship that they need to do the job that the brand needs them to do, right? Yeah. So this is a, a big focus for us in, in evangelizing in 2020, and it manifests in a lot of different ways. Right. But um, I, I'm going to do at least double the number of events um, that I did in uh, 2019. Wow. Well, you you are a, a thought leader, and you're, you're a guy that people pay a lot of attention to, uh, Lee, and, and I'm so glad you were able to find the time to, um, to join us today for AQ's Blog and Grill. And uh, well, thank you, Alan. Uh, congratulations on the podcast. Thank you. Um, you're one of my favorite people to talk to. So super. Well, um, I'm going to let you go back to, to running your empire. And uh, we'll, we're bound to see you early in the new year at a couple of conferences. And um, all the best to you and your family uh, as you head in, as we head into the, uh, the new year. Well, the same, same thing to you, Alan. I wish you the best and uh, all the success. Great. Thanks, my friend. See you later. AQ's Blog and Grill.